as just another year. And I understand that. And there are others of you that uh, this year has been so good, you hate to see it come and go. But then I also realize that there may be some of you out there that because this year has been so difficult and so full of trouble that you can't wait to see it leave. I think that's maybe how King David felt. I read a psalm that he put together, a song that he wrote. And um, I'm not sure what was going on in David's life when he penned this. But he was having a hard time with something. Something was eating him up. Something was deeply troubling him. And, and we know that because of the way that he starts the 40th Psalm off. He, he writes these words. He says, I waited patiently for the Lord to help me. I waited patiently for the Lord to help me. You ever done that? You ever needed God to help you and you had to wait for him to come rescue you and You know, it seemed like an eternity before he gets there. I know a lot of parents that have prayed and prayed and prayed for their children and they're waiting on God to come help them with their kids and and they're still waiting. I know some people who have needed jobs and they prayed and they prayed and they prayed and they've asked God to give them a job and and, and maybe give them a better job and, and they're still waiting. I've met a lot of people this year that are struggling with life and maybe they're sick or maybe they're just suffering from something else and they prayed and they prayed and they prayed and they're still waiting. If I were to go by and, and, and survey everybody in this room, I'm pretty sure that everybody in this room at some point in this year has needed help and you've asked God for help and, and in reality, he's either already answered your prayer are you're still waiting. I want you to think on this for just a minute. My friend, please understand and rest assured that God knows exactly what you're going through and he cares. You got to remember that our God is God. And you got to know that he knows everything. You got to understand that. You got to believe that. And our God has no limitations whatsoever. We're, we're so limited that we sometimes apply our limited ability to God and that doesn't work. God has no limitations. He sees everything. And not only that, he, he knows everything and, and he deeply cares for all of us. Listen, God's timing is perfect, is it not? And and so is his knowledge, his wisdom. He knows what we need and he knows when we need it. And and his answers are far better than, than any of our solutions. Our very best solutions are nowhere near as good as God's. I've learned the hard way and, 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 and on many occasions that, that God knows what I need far better than I do. I shared with you just a couple of weeks ago that God is faithful. Will will you say that with me? God is faithful. Our God is faithful. He's the same today and tomorrow that he's always been. And he's not going to let you down. I, I taught 
a little bit from the parable of the persistent, persistent widow a few weeks ago. And, and Jesus teaches us about the faithfulness of God in that parable. Remember what Jesus said? He said, listen to what the unfair judge said. He said, God will always give what is right to his people who cry to him and night and day and he will not be slow to answer them. He said, I tell you, God will help his people quickly. So friends, will, will, will God leave us hanging with unanswered prayers? Well, not if you believe what Jesus said. According to Jesus, and, and, and I would say according to Jesus, he, he is the ruler of heaven and he knows how heaven works and he knows what we need. He's the son of God. Sometimes we, we pray and we pray and, and we see immediate answers to the things we ask God for. But I admit, there are other times that we pray and we pray and it seems like heaven is completely silent. But again, friends, be assured that God always answers the prayers of his people. He says that in scripture. Sometimes God says yes and he, he gives us exactly what we ask for the way we ask for it. Sometimes we regret it later. <laughs> Be careful what you pray for. <laughs> I'm kidding. Um, sometimes he says yes, sometimes he says no. And he changes the, the answer of the prayer to what we really need. Sometimes he just says wait, wait. But God will never let our prayers go unanswered. Now, I know that we don't always verbalize it this way, but, but I also know that sometimes we think, we think this. Why should I even bother to pray when I know that God is already going to do what he's going to do? Why even bother to pray? Well, we know scripture teaches that God has a master plan. Amen. And we know that his will is always going to be done. That is true. That's what scripture teaches. But God tells us to pray anyway. In fact, he commands us to pray. And here's why. You see, there are some things that God has already decided that he will do. Specific things that he's going to do and he knows exactly when he's going to do them. No matter what, they're done. Take it to the bank. They're written in concrete. But there are other times that because of his divine nature and his character, there are things that he will not do. No matter how many times you ask him, he's just not going to do them. You see, it's kind of like God has drawn two separate lines in the sand. And, and one line represents what he will do, the extreme of that. And the other line represents what God will not do, the extreme of that. And then in between, there's a whole lot of possibilities that God might do. Things that, well, could be done, accomplished by God. And he's decided that he's only going to do those things if we pray. If we pray. That's right. In response to your prayers, God will do certain things. Now, think with me for a moment. Here's the key to this concept. If you pray, he will do certain things. If you don't pray then you may very well miss out on what God could do in your life. Well, where did you come up with that preacher? Well, look with me at James 4, verse 2. 
James writes very carefully in his letter, you want what you don't have, and yet the reason you don't have what you want is that you don't ask God for it. Did you see that? If you don't pray, you don't get. And even when you do ask, you don't get it because your whole motive is wrong. You want only what will give you pleasure. As I read that passage of scripture, I see that there are two things that you do that influences what God does. Things you do that influences what God does. Two things. First is your prayers, your prayer life. Your prayers and how you pray can influence what God does. And, and, and the Bible is very clear that when we pray, we need to pray with a clean heart. And we also need to pray in the will of God. But not only does our prayers influence God, but so does our actions after we pray. You see, we are called to live a righteous and responsible life. Dr. Tony Evans wrote in one of his books, there are certain things that God is willing to do in society, but he won't do them until Christians take up our responsibility in that society. He says in this last line, our actions determine, can determine which way God will move. I firmly believe that the only reason that God has not passed judgment on our nation for the sin of our rebellion is because there are enough true believers that are right now praying to God for this country and thus staying the hand, the wrathful hand of Almighty God. Now you think about that. You know, we, we've heard this, that we've heard we're a Christian nation. No, we're a nation that has Christians in it. But you and I need to understand reality. The church in America is shrinking. It is. Because I don't think the church is doing their job, quite honestly. We're not reaching our nation as we should be. But the church is shrinking. So, so that means we have less and less people that are praying to God, interceding for this nation. And so I, I have a little note card on, on, on my desk where I wrote something and, and, and I simply say unless there's revival in this country in the next four years all you know what's going to break loose folks unless there's revival sooner or later judgment's coming you need to think about that our nation desperately needs to turn back to God amen we all need to turn back to God that's what revival is Revival starts in individual hearts. It has to begin in you and you and you and you and me. Before there can be revival of a nation, it has to begin in us personally. It has to begin where hearts are crying out to God and that is exactly what David was doing. David was crying out to God with his heart. He desperately needed God's help. He needed to see an answer come from God. Do you know what? David's answer didn't come immediately. And so you're not alone in your waiting. David said, I have prayed and I, I waited patiently for the Lord to help me. Folks, patience is the key here. 
Patience is the key. You see, being patient is where we have our most trouble, I think. Too many times we pray and and if God seems to be delayed in giving us the answer we want, that's when we take matters into our own hands. That's when we lean on our own wisdom. That's when we make our own decisions. That's when we try to fix our problems without the counsel of God. And that's when we find ourselves in more trouble. The right thing to do, though it is the hard thing to do, is to pray to God and, and wait on him and trust in him for what we need. David said, I prayed and then I waited and God turned to me and he helped me. If you look in Psalm 40 at verse 2, you'll see that God helped him as a result of his praying and his waiting. And look at verse 2, it says, he lifted me out of the pit of despair. How did David get in a pit of despair? I have a feeling it was probably because of his own doing. Bad choices, drifting away from God. He said that God lifted me out of the pit of despair, out of the mud and the mire. He set my feet on solid ground and steadied me as I walked along. He has given me a new song to sing, a, a hymn of praise to our God. And many will see what he has done and be astounded. And they will put their trust in the Lord. Dr. Richard Lee writes one of the lies that our culture propagates is the idea of destination satisfaction. He says we think because we're taught in this culture that when we get there and when we achieve this and when we meet them, we will be satisfied. He says as if happiness were only found in the next place in the future and never in the present. He says until we give up the idea that happiness is somewhere else, it will never be where we are. So we must learn to live in contentment wherever we are. Now let's be honest with each other. How satisfied are we with the things we have? Really? How satisfied are we? Have any of us ever learned to be content with where God has placed us and with what God has put into our possession? Guys, we are so blessed. So blessed. We have far beyond, far more than any of us deserve. Far, we're far more blessed than we deserve. We have so much, and, but too often we lose sight of God's blessings because we take our eyes off our God-given blessings and, and we start looking at what others have and, and we think, well, you know, if I just had what they had, then, then I would be satisfied. Really? David refused to do that. He refused to do that. He refused to fall into that trap. And instead he refocused on the Lord and he put his thoughts where they were supposed to be on, on what really mattered. And he began to reminisce and remember how awesome God is. We serve an awesome God, amen? He's awesome. And David realized that God had blessed him with relentless and countless blessings. And he then reflects on how 
how God graciously unleashed his blessings on a sinful man like himself. David said, God lifted me out of the pit of despair and out of the mud and the mire and he set my feet on solid ground and he steadied me as I walked along and he has given me a new song to sing and a hymn of praise to, to our God. Many will see what he has done and they will be astounded and they will put their trust in the Lord. David is singing to God. But what else is he doing? He's counting his blessings. When was the last time you took a blessing inventory? We're about to start a new year. I think this would be a good time to do it, amen? To start off the year counting your blessings, our God is so good. And he's good all the time, he's awesome. And he's kind and he's gracious, especially in light of the fact that we all deserve hell instead of a helping hand from God. God is so good to all of us. But how do we treat God? How do we treat our God? Can I ask you a personal question? Do you mind? What do you value the most in life? Is it a bunch of things or is it your God? Which one holds your greatest loyalty? How often do you, do your personal financial priorities prohibit you from investing in God's kingdom work? Think about that. Again, Dr. Lee writes in our American culture, selfishness and greed they paralyze us. He says the word selfishness and greed seem to be harsh, but they connote the deliberate choice to, to manage our funds according to our own logic instead of the kingdom principles of God. And he said, whether they relate to giving to our local church or participating in mission opportunities or, or just helping someone in need, our me-centered me desires tend to win out. Folks, God wants to change that. He wants to change that mentality, that, that way of thinking and, and that way of prioritizing things in our life. He wants us to adopt his kingdom agenda. He wants to develop in each of us an eternal perspective. And you know when that happens, listen, when, when that happens, there's this exchange that takes place and it's an eternal exchange. That's when we, we give up something to do something that has eternal significance. Something that lasts right on into eternity. Jesus said unashamedly that no one can serve two masters. For you will hate one and love the other or you'll be devoted to one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. Interesting chapter. Matthew 16. And something else that's really interesting about this single verse is that it ties together the parable of the unjust steward with the rebuke that Jesus gave to the greed of the Pharisees. Read that whole passage in the context. And you will see that Jesus clearly warns us about trying to serve both God and money 
at the same time. And, and he warns us because he knows that we can never hold on to him with one hand and the world with the other. It just doesn't work. It's impossible to be happy when you do that. So I want to encourage you this morning to consider three new goals as you embark upon a new year. And I want you to notice that I said goals. I did not say New Year's resolutions that you make and forget within a month. I am referring to spiritual goals here that you set and then you work with God's help to achieve. Here's the first and it has to do with priority. Priority. I encourage you to set the goal of prioritizing your earthly investments from a spiritual perspective. All the things that you do and all the things that you have, set a priority to do so and use them in a way that has a spiritual end. Jesus said, don't store up treasures here on earth where they can be eaten by moths and get rusty and where thieves can break in and steal. He said, store your treasures in heaven where they will never be moth eaten or rusty and where they will be safe from thieves. In other words, live your life making earthly investments. Set that as a priority. Goal number two is about prayer. Pray asking God to set you free from your me-centered self. Isn't that the way Jesus prayed in the garden that night before he took your place on the cross? I think so. In fact, he said, Father, if you are willing, take away this cup of suffering, but do what you want and not what I want. Do what you want. May your will be done, Father. So there's goal number one, it's about priorities. There's goal number two, it's about prayer. Here's goal number three. Put biblical God-centered stewardship into practice. You say, Brother Randy, why in the world is that important? Well, it's important because it will help you to develop a grateful heart. And God loves it when we have a grateful heart. But it'll also help to keep you out of financial danger. Financial danger. We're just a couple bad decisions away from financial collapse. In Mark chapter 12, he writes about an event that took place one day in the life of Jesus. And he writes these words. He says, the leader sent some Pharisees and supporters to Herod to try to trap Jesus into saying something for which he could be arrested. And these men said to Jesus, teacher, we know how honest you are. You are impartial and you don't play favorites. You sincerely teach the ways of God. Now tell us, is it right to pay taxes to the Roman government or not? Should we pay them or should we not? And Jesus saw through their hypocrisy, he's God, he sees everything, right? And he said to them, whom are you trying to fool with your trick question? Show me a Roman coin and I will tell you. I'll give you your answer. And when they handed it to him, Jesus asked, whose picture and title are stamped on this coin? Caesar's, they replied. And so Jesus said to them, well then, 
Give to Caesar what belongs to him, but everything that belongs to God must be given to God. And, and this reply completely amazed them, Mark says. Folks, Jesus makes it very clear that good stewardship requires two things. And we see that in the context of what Jesus said here. In fact, he spells it out really good. To be a good steward, first of all, you have to pay your taxes. Oh, you know, I don't know of anybody that likes to pay taxes. Anybody want to raise their hand saying you like to pay taxes? See, I, I, I know you. Why? Because I'm one of you. I don't like to pay them either. Ronnie says sometimes I don't mind paying taxes. I just don't want to pay them anymore than I have to. I agree with that. You see, the problem with paying taxes is you and I see the waste. There's, there's a whole lot more wasted than we give. But God says, pay your taxes. But he also says that to be a good steward, you have to give your tithe back to God. Look at what Jesus said. He said, well then, give to Caesar what belongs to him, but everything that belongs to God must be given to God. We read the first part and we complain. We read the second part and we just... Move right on. Can I let you in on a little secret? Y'all like secrets? God doesn't want everything that belongs to him. God doesn't want everything that belongs to him. You don't have to give back to God everything. Are you hearing me? If we did, we wouldn't have anything left. Why? Because God owns everything. He owns that car you drove to church this morning. He owns that bed you slept in last night. He owns all those Christmas presents that were under the tree. He owns everything. The psalmist says the earth is the Lord's and everything in it, the whole world and all his people belong to him. It all belongs to God. Amen? <laughs> oh me. It all belongs to God. But he only expects you to give back to him a tithe. He lets you live off the rest. I heard about a man a long time ago that didn't have a whole lot in life and he didn't make a lot of money but he always was faithful to tithe on what he made. His family was growing and he needed a more income and so he began to pray for a new job and he asked his pastor to help him pray for a new job and it wasn't long before the man got a new job and, and man, he, uh, he, he got paid a lot more money and so his, he saw a sizable increase in his salary. But with the increase came a dilemma. You see, when he started adding up what his tithe was supposed to be based on his new salary, well, he had never given God that much money in his life, and he was having a hard time with parting with that much money. I mean, that was a lot of money. And so he was troubled about that. He was losing sleep over it, and he called his pastor, and he said, I need to talk to you, and his pastor said, come on by. And so he went by, and he saw his pastor, and he's explaining how he's really having a hard time giving God, so much money, and without hesitation, 
The man's pastor said, well, let's just pray about it. And so they bowed their heads and the pastor prayed this way, Father, please give my friend his old job back. (laughs) Why do you suppose he prayed that way? I think it's because it's better to have very little and give to God what is his than to have a whole lot and refuse to give to God or, or to refuse to give and or maybe give reluctantly. Jesus is quite clear and blunt into the fact when he says that rich people have a hard time entering the kingdom of heaven. And it's not because of the amount of money that they have. Don't misunderstand that. It's not the money that's the problem. It's their stewardship of their money. It's the fact that they love their money more than they love their God. I read in Mark chapter 10, and I point your attention to this, beginning in verse 23, where Jesus, it says, Jesus looked around. Jesus was very observant. He knew every person he put his eyes on. He knew what was going on in their life. He could look at their heart. He knew what they were doing. He knew what they were not doing. And it says he looked around and he said to his disciples, how hard is it for rich people to get into the kingdom of God? Exclamation point. And it says this amazed them, but Jesus said again, dear children, it's very hard to get into the kingdom of God It is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich person to enter the kingdom of God. You ever ever tried to stuff? You know, I have trouble stuffing thread through a needle. It's the eyes, I think. You know, the, the older you get, the less you see well and the more light you need, right? The more light. Well, Solomon, the richest man in the world, in his day especially, writes in Proverbs 3, honor the Lord with your wealth and with the best part of everything your land produces. And then he will fill your barns with grain and your vats will overflow with the finest wine. It's important to note that these Proverbs were written in and for an agrarian community or society. In other words, they raised and they grew pretty much everything they ate. Our culture today doesn't have a clue how to do that. It would shock you how many people don't know where an egg comes from. You say, where do we get eggs? They go to the grocery store. A lot of people don't know where that steak they got came from. You know, I, I had somebody not long ago said, man, I hope you don't kill deer. I go, well, I hope you don't eat steaks. I'm kidding. We live in a very different world. But God's principles have never changed and they never will change. From the very beginning of mankind in the Garden of Eden, God, our Heavenly Father, has desired to provide for us. And and the Bible's full of, of promises that ensure God's provision for each of us. And there are specific instructions on how we are to acquire the blessings of God. And they are very clear, very clear. Uh, God's word says, if we give back to the Lord, that he will bless us. 
You go, well, where's that found in the Bible? I've put it in your notes. It's Luke 6, 38. You see, if you ask for, you will receive. If you give, Jesus says, you will receive. Your gift will return to you in full measure, pressed down, shaken together, to make room for more, he says, and running over. Whatever measure you use in giving, large or small, it will be used to measure what is given back to you. Wow. Now you tell me if I'm right or wrong here, okay? There are two things that I see in this passage of scripture that for sure affect God's blessings on your life. The first has to do with how much you give back to God. Your giving affects how much God gives to you. And giving is certainly an act of worship and we're here to worship God, amen? We're here to worship God. The second thing that affects God's blessing on your life is our motives for giving. Why we give. Paul writes, you must each make up your own mind as to how much you should give. Don't give reluctantly or in response to pressure for God loves the person who gives cheerfully. I uh, was doing one of my devotions. I, I have gone through the year doing five devotions a morning. And they're all in different aspects of my life some on leadership, some on just discipleship, some just, just wisdom. I've been doing one by Charles Stanley on wisdom literature. I've read through the Psalms now. I'm on my 12th time, excuse me, not Psalms, Proverbs, on the 12th time reading through Proverbs. It was so good, I think I'm gonna do it again next year. Yeah. But in one of my devotions, I was challenged to ask myself some questions about my motive for giving. Questions that I challenge you to think about. I, I was asked to consider these two questions. The first is this. If the commands of giving were, were found in Scripture with no promise of blessing attached, would I still give back to God? If God just said give but doesn't promise a blessing, would I still give? And then here's the second question. What if all blessings and tax deductions were removed? Would I still be willing to give sacrificially and generously if there were no provision of blessing? I think we're all afraid of that answer, don't you? I think we all need to pray asking God to teach us to give from a heart of gratitude and not with an expectation of return. So I want to suggest something and closing this message out this morning. I, I want to suggest three words to you. Three little words. They're in your notes, but I want to bring them to your attention. The first word is just simply the word give. Give. God loves a, a generous giving spirit. We need to give. We need to give to God. Not that God needs what we give him, but we need the blessing of giving. So I encourage you to start honoring God with the first fruits of your income and not the leftovers. Give to God first, just trying, trying. If you want God's blessings, you need to honor God because, and honor him first because he's the owner of everything. So give, give to God. Second of all, the, the second word is the word save. 
save. You see, after you've given back to God what he expects, then pay yourself next. Pay yourself next. But always put a certain amount of your money away to save for a rainy day or, or even retirement or your future needs, whatever they might be. And even take some of that money and invest it so you get a good return over time. So you need to give and you also need to save. But third is the word spend. Spend. Give. Save. Spend. There's absolutely nothing wrong with spending as long as you do it wisely. Dr. Evans writes, if MasterCard is the only one enjoying the fruit of your work or if American Express is the only one that loves to see you get paid, then something's wrong. What's wrong? He said, well, what's wrong is you're being owned by this world order. And he reminds that the borrower is always a slave to the lender. Always. Be careful how much debt you incur. Be careful. Now I would just suggest as you think about those three words that you give an attention. You give special attention to the order of those words. You need to give first to God, then save for yourself, and then spend. I know too often we get it backwards and we tend to spend faithfully and save occasionally and give sporadically. Why not change the way you give to God in 2019? Why not change the way? God loves for you to honor him and bless him and praise him. And you know what? He loves to bless you and he wants to bless you. He really does. God certainly loves his children who grow up with a grateful heart. He wants us to be happy. Happy. Can you smile this morning? God wants everybody to be happy. In, in, in my quiet time this morning, my devotion, God gave me another psalm. I want to I read that with you. Psalms 128. Psalms 128. It's amazing. I, I, I read this psalm this morning and I started to just preach from it. I may do that in the near future. Psalm 28. And I want you to just put yourself in the context of this passage. They are singing this song as they're making their way up the path road leading into Jerusalem where the temple is, where they go in and they worship God. And they're singing this song as they come into the presence of the Lord. Look at what it says. How joyful are those who fear the Lord. That's not being afraid of God. That's people who respect God, who give God his rightful place in their life, who pay attention to God, who want God actively involved in their life. He says, how joyful, how happy are those who fear the Lord, all who follow his ways. You will enjoy the fruit of your labor. In other words, you will enjoy what you make. How joyful and prosperous you will be. Your wife will be like a fruitful grapevine flourishing within your home. And your children will be like vigorous young olive trees as they sit around your table. That is the Lord's blessing for those who fear him. 
2018 is almost gone. I hope you've spent it well. What's 2019 going to be like? I think a lot of it depends on you and your attitude toward God. You can live with less and be more blessed if your eyes are on Jesus. What do you need to do to get in the right frame of mind, the right attitude to enter into 2019, to start it off well? Because you know how you end a lot of times depends on how you start. 2018 may not have gone very well for you because you didn't start it out well. Why not rethink that and enter into this new year where God wants you to be and start it right. What does that take for you? Does that mean you get saved today? Could be. Does that mean you recommit your life to the Lord? Could be. Does that mean you settle down in a church and you commit yourself to being where God wants you to be with a body of believers? Could be. Could it mean you take up being a disciple Praying daily, reading God's word, applying God's word to your life, then being obedient to what God leads you to understand and know could be. You see, it's one of those for all of us. In a moment, I'm going to give you an invitation. It'll be a sad thing if nobody responds. It'll be a beautiful thing for you as an individual if you do what God puts in your heart to do. And it is something for every one of us. So I'm going to ask Ronnie to come. He's going to come in just a minute. And I'm going to pray. And I'm going to give you an opportunity to do what God's put in your heart to do. Don't do it for me. Do it for you. But also do it for your family. And do it for your God. Let's pray. Father, I've been reminded because I've had several people say this to me this morning that every day is a gift from you. And in that day, it's full of opportunities, opportunities for us to draw closer to you, to be challenged in our walk, to allow you, God, to shape us into the image of your Son. Thank you for our day. Thank you for our opportunities. Thank you, Lord, that we get to come into your presence and to have you challenge our hearts and to speak to us and encourage us to come closer to you. Lord, just help every heart know this morning what they need to do to draw closer to you so that they can begin this new year off in a good way and in a right way so they can end it well. God, there's some here in this room this morning, and we don't know, but some won't make it all the way through 2019. Some will, some won't. But however many days you give us from this day forward, God, help us to make the most of the day you've given us. 
Thank you, Lord, for loving us and being kind and gracious. And thank you for the hope we have in you, Lord Jesus. You're our everything. Without you, we're nothing. Know that we love you, Lord. We thank you for second chances. Thank you for the new life we can have in you and do have. We praise you in Jesus' name. Amen and amen. Let's stand. I pray that you've listened to God and I pray that the Lord has spoken to your heart. And I just ask you to be obedient and move in God's direction. You come as God leads.